You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Today's reading is from Psalm chapter 16. And in case you would like to follow along in a Bible and you don't have one, there's one underneath the chairs in front of you that you can open to. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be forsaken, it shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You may be seated. All right, so uh, Ryan Tedder, who is the, uh, I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Teeter Tedder, um, sorry, Ryan, but uh, he is the lead singer, frontman for One Republic. He uh, moved to Colorado Springs during his senior, his senior year in high school, one, landed in a Christian school. From there, he went to Earl Roberts University, that is an evangelical college. He went there. He met, I believe, one of his bandmates at the Christian school. I don't know if he met the rest of them at the, at the university or how he met the rest of them, but his background is definitely he grew up in the church. In fact, one of his songs, and I think two albums ago, um, one of his songs is titled Preacher, which is a song dedicated to his grandfather, who was a pastor. So kind of give you a sense for, for him. I, I like their music. I think if you, if you listen to his music, it's very upbeat. He also has helped write music for other artists as well. Um, he uh, learned how to play piano when he was three years old <laughs> and uh, just developed his musical talent ever since. After, um, after he graduated from Oral Roberts University and you know, started his band, he was interviewed by the Houston Chronicle in 2008. He was asked basically this question, you were raised by an extended family of missionaries and pastors. Has this played a role in your music? Well, well yeah. Um, yeah. It certainly has shaped his, his musical talents. Then he went on to say, this is what Tedder responded. He said, I got offered a Christian recording deal. I'm Christian. I grew up in church, but I'm not going to tour churches. I was raised in Oklahoma. Tulsa's like the buckle of the Bible belt. I grew up in, in that environment. I was in Nashville for two years, and I quickly became friends with probably half a dozen of some of the biggest Christian recording artists. 
every single one of them was absolutely miserable with the fact that they were Christian recording artists. I saw some stuff in Nashville that turned my stomach. Some of the most pretentious, insecure people I've ever met were Christian recording artists. Now, I don't know who burned him. But he's, that's pretty harsh words for um, Christian recording artists. But you, got, you get the gist. Like, he's made it very clear. I want to be a musician that happens to be a Christian. And so he's released a bunch of, um, a bunch of songs. I believe they have three, three or four recorded albums. In their first album in 2007, Dream Out Loud, um, kind of got mixed reviews, but one of the songs titled Apologize, for those of you, One Republic, okay. How many of you know the song Apologize? All right. So when the album was released, it got mediocre reviews, but then uh, Timberland, who is an American record, record producer, songwriter, and rapper, was given permission to kind of rewrite, the, not rewrite the song, but remix it. And then that song became the number one song in 16 countries, which is crazy. Um, and that launched their career. In a recent interview uh, from The Sun, a UK newspaper, Tedder was asked uh, that, you know, he said that he wrote Run after the news of COVID started to scare him and his desire to not become paralyzed by bad news. That's why he wrote the song Sun. How many of you, or Run, I mean, how many of you have heard the song Run? Okay, a few of you. We're going to see the music video in a minute. Um, his advice to his fans in that interview was this, chase, chase whatever it is that you want because life goes quick. I'm constantly doing things that scare me and chasing new experiences and goals. In that chase, I'm having fun because I'm living. And so there's a, one of the, the um, verses in the song, so it's this, uh, they tell you that the sky might fall, they, they say that you might lose it all, so I run until I hit the wall, yeah, I, run, I learn my lesson, count my blessings, look to the rising sun, and run, run, run. Now, on one level, I agree with him on that, like our bodies who we are as human beings, we're not made to just be idle. We're, you know, God did not purpose us to be paralyzed by fear. There are health consequences to that. On another level, I think, man, um, if I'm just living for the sake of living, then there's, what, what, where's the, what's the point in that? I, I think in the midst of a pandemic and crazy things that are happening in our world, you need to have something that you're running towards that's bigger than all that stuff. And Psalm 16 gives us a pathway to that. Uh, in, a in a minute, I'm gonna, we're going to look at the video, but what I, I tried to find some explanation of the thought process that went behind the, the, just the filming of the music video. Because what you'll see is Tedder running through those, it looks like movie sets, um, Hollywood movie sets. And, and he takes on different roles of different characters, iconic characters, you know, in this, in this video. And then at the end, you see him sitting behind or next to a video camera like he's going to start recording a movie. And I, my, my takeaway from that is, in light of the song, is you can, you can try to fit whatever role people want to make for you, or you can write your own script. And that's, that's kind of what my takeaway from it. So it's a fun video, it's a fun song. Uh, I, you know, I'll talk about some of the things that I think Psalm 16 says that speaks into that song, but let's watch the music video. Here we go. 
But there are some people who are still there, right? So I was doing some research on chronic fear related to COVID and just kind of what people are experiencing because there is an epidemic now. There is a, there is a, there is a problem with, with people who've gotten stuck in this rut of just fear and the implications of that. So I, I did some research. Chronic fear can impair the brain's ability to store long-term memories and it can result in brain damage. Did you, you know that? Like it can result in damage to your brain as a result, if you're living in chronic fear for an extended period of time. Like the body, like God's wired our body to experience the emotion of fear for a reason. Like it serves a good purpose. Like it, your body, you know, kicks in its defense mechanisms. And, but we're not made to live there for an extended period of time. 
I also learned long-term fear can cause the deterioration of brain cells that can further lead to clinical depression, fatigue, and PTSD, which is really not a surprise, I don't think, to anybody here. Fear releases stress hormones that slow or shut down your bodily functions, including your gut, which can inhibit your immune system from, from functioning properly. So fear can, long-term fear, can actually affect your health, where you can get sick. Living in a constant state of fear can lead to um, ulcers, uh, decreased uh, fertility, accelerating age, and heart disease. Here's the thing about fear, though. Fears, like other emotions, it's not something you just shut off and turn on. Like, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to be fearful today. Oh, I'm not going to be fearful. Like, I don't, I don't think you can, can, can control it on that level. But I do think that if you have something that's bigger than what you're fearful of, that holds all that stuff in check, then that's one way to regulate your fear. There's one way to address your fear. And I think Psalm 19, or Psalm 16 does that for us. Um, if, you, if you have a Bible, you, you might want to just follow along, or if you have a digital device, you can do that too, because um, I'll spend the rest of our time in Psalm 16. But I, there are some things I want you to see here. So when David wrote Psalm 16, he most likely wrote it while fleeing King Saul. Okay, so that kind of puts it into context. So who was King Saul? King Saul was king when David slayed Goliath. Remember that? David was, you know, bringing his brothers some bag lunches, and he heard uh, Goliath, the Philistine champion, taunting Israel and saying all kinds of nasty things and David said, well, who's going who's gonna to shut this guy's face up? Um, nobody rose to the occasion, so David said, I'll do it. King Saul is the guy who said, hey, if you're going to die, you might as well die in style. Here, wear my armor. David tried it. It didn't fit him. So he's like, I'm just going to take my, my sling, some stones, and we're going to call it good, and my staff. And so he faced Goliath, and, he, and God gave David the victory that day, and, um, and so slew Goliath. After that, or sometime around that period of time, God stripped, said through Samuel, I'm going to strip the kingdom from King Saul. So I'm going to remove it from him because King Saul uh, just lost his way um, in terms of his relationship with God and the whole purpose of him being king. Well, that caused him to be pretty jealous of David because the kingdom was going to be given to David. And so what Saul thought he would do is that, well, I'm just going to take things in my own hands and I'm going to kill David. I'm just going to get rid of him. And so that way I could stay king. Somebody said uh, in one of my Bible classes, he said, class, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to make sense of sin and evil, it makes no sense. There's no rationalizing with sin or, or evil, right? Well, Saul, I mean, if you ask yourself, well, why would Saul do that? God said he's going to strip the kingdom from him. It's not like he could prevent it. Sin makes no sense. So David was in hiding, I believe, when he wrote Psalm 16. And so verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Which makes sense, right? So if he's fleeing Saul, and this is the first, thing that, the first lyric that he writes to his song, in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. What he's saying there, and it's my first point, is that there is joy in the Lord to be experienced. It, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's going on around you, there is joy to be experienced in the Lord regarding of your circumstances. Now, 
That doesn't mean David was smiling all the time. It doesn't mean that he was laughing. It doesn't mean that, that everything was going his way when he wrote this psalm. What it does mean is that he, was, he understood who God was in light of his present circumstances. He knew who God was. And by knowing God, it put everything that he was experiencing in context. Uh, in <clears throat> verse 10, which we'll get to later on in the message, but I just want to read it for you. I think this is the heart of Psalm 16. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, meaning the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So he says what he says in the first verse. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Not as a plea to protect me, God, but as a, as a statement of fact. Because of who you are, you will keep me. You're not going to abandon me. You're for me. You're not against me. And then verse 2, he says, he goes on. He says, I say to the Lord. Now, if you look at your Bible, you can, you'll see it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? And what does that mean? Yahweh. God's Hebrew name, Yahweh. His most personal name, his covenantal name, Yahweh. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. Well, what does that mean? What, what name's being used there in Hebrew? Adonai, the sovereign one. I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai, I have no good apart from you. I, I love, I, I love the, how David uses the names of God here. I love Yahweh. You, you, I say to Yahweh, you are, who are my, you are my covenant-keeping God. You keep your promises. You're faithful even when I'm faithless. You're Yahweh. You're also my sovereign one. Meaning, I said this during my Romans series a while back, there are no plan Bs with you, God. But God's not in heaven saying, well, plan A didn't work. Let's go to plan B. God always operates with plan A. Always, all the time. And Adonai is, is a reminder to David that this is God's plan A. I am somewhere where Saul can't find me, and yet I know that this is God's plan A. God is doing something in this. He's working this out for my good. I can't see all the details. I don't know how it's all going to come together. I, I don't know if I'll ever understand it on this side of eternity, but what I do know is that God is for me and that he's not against me because he is Yahweh. He is my Adonai. And there is joy to be, to be experienced in the Lord. And then he goes on in verses 5 through 6. Um, well, before we get to verses 5 through 6, uh, verse 3, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, okay, so I understand who God is, my vertical relationship with God. I love him. He is Yahweh. He is Adonai. I need him. He is life to me. But I also, I also rejoice in his people. That's his horizontal relationships. Like, 
As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. That's in contrast to verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Meaning, um, the, the saints, they know where to find life. And, and in them is where I can find encouragement for my own heart. But, but the ones who run after another god, that leads to death. That leads to destruction. That, leads, that does not lead to life. You know, um, another way of, of saying verses 3 and 4, or the New Testament equivalent to that, is I think Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let's read this together. Ready? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now the day that's being referred here is the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, when, when he's going to make all things new. You know, I don't know about you, but I do know that we're closer to that day than we've ever been before, right? And so David is saying, not only, not only is God my refuge, not only is Yahweh preserving my heart and my soul, not only um, is he the one where all my good is found, like all my, my life is found in him, but I delight in the saints in the land. And Why do I delight in the saints in the land? Because I need people uh, who speak into my life. You know, in the, in the context of this, Jonathan was one of those guys that spoke into David's life. He was the son of Saul. They were like best friends. And um, I'm sure David had other people. Like later on, if you read David's life in uh, 2 Samuel and, and um, Chronicles, um, what you'll discover is that there was a prophet by the name of Nathan who spoke into his life. Here's, here's, here's the fact, right? We are not made to be alone. I know introverts, you might want to press against that, like, no, I like my alone, quiet space without people around me. No, we, we need each other. We need each other. We need people in our lives who are going to speak into us. This is what I can guarantee you. You ready? I guarantee you, if you shelter yourself from, isolate yourself from God's people, you will shrivel up and dry spiritually. I guarantee you. That's... Like, Jesus is passionate for his church, his bride, his people. And uh, like you saw in Hebrews chapter 10, we are made for each other. We're made to, to be around each other. We need people to speak into our lives. I have people who speak into my lives. Um, I have people who are very close to me who pretty much know just about everything there is to know about me. And then I have other people who, who are, know that they have, uh, there's a, tr a level of trust that's built where they, they can speak into my, my life. I ask people, there are people in, in our church family, I will text, I will email, I will call who I really, really trust, who I know you don't see eye to eye on everything, theologically or socially or whatever, and I ask those people, hey, you know, I preached on this subject, what did you think? You know, what were your thoughts? Knowing that whatever they say, they're going to say out of, a, out, of, out of love, not out of, oh, I hate that pastor, Keith, you know? Like, <laughs> like... And, and I believe that they trust me the same way. Like I can speak into their lives. And I, I have, there are, there are a pool of people, both men and women, who I'm regularly asking questions of. 
and the staff, it's the same thing. Um, and so I need people to speak into my life. You need people to speak into your life. We need people. Like the best context, I think, in a church for that to really happen, uh, where relationships to be built and, and, to, and to, to grow is what? Anybody want to tickle my ears a little bit? What do you think it is? Life groups, yes. <laughs> if you're not in a life group, you should go out there and look at the life groups and then get yourself plugged into a life group. But life groups, our life group is pretty tight. We, we, we're very, well, I think we're very close. Um, but life groups is a good place for that. We need each other. David recognizes that. And here, here's the other thing. That doesn't mean, like when it comes to the saints, that when it comes to other believers, that doesn't mean that, like I don't, I don't think David's saying that you spend all of your time with people who worship Yahweh. I, I don't think the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches us to engage mission. And, um, and to engage mission, what does that mean? You, you need to engage people who don't know Jesus. You need to find places where people are gathered or where there are people who don't know Jesus and insert your life in the middle of that. That's how we do mission. Um, I have, I, there, are, there are groups and there are individuals who I hang out with who don't know Jesus. And I'm very purposeful about that. Not, not to build some fake friendship, you know, where, uh, you know, I just, all I see is I just want to win them to Jesus. I love them enough that I want to see that, that those people come to Jesus, but I really value their friendship. So you need both in your life. God's, God, through his spirit, speaks to and through his people. Um, I said this before, you know, the Holy Spirit is not God's bench warmer, you know, where he's just kind of, we don't know what to do with him kind of a thing. No, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is active and, and involved in the life of his people. And you know what he does? He often uses God's people to speak into your life, right? And so if you don't have somebody in your life that, that's a follower of Jesus that you can trust, go find one. Um, we need those kind of people in our lives. So that leads me to uh, the, the second point, that there is security in the Lord to be had presently, meaning, you know, David, you know, if I were, if I were him, I would feel like my life was upside down. If, if I had the king of the nation pursuing me, you know, I would feel pretty insecure. Uh, I think David, it would have been very tempting for David to feel insecure. But he just clings on to God. In verse 5 he says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. What is he saying there? You are my refuge. In you is life. In you is my security. At the end of the day, whatever happens is, is your will for me. And, and I'm okay with that. Somebody said, this is like when some flesh-eating virus was... Uh, it was like in the 90s where they were afraid that this thing might, you know, find its way on airplanes and find its way into, you know, other countries. And the, I think the survival rate of that was like maybe 20%, so 80% mortality rate of this, of this virus. And I remember hearing somebody on Christian radio saying this. It brought a lot of comfort to me. He said, you know, the safest place to be is in the will of God. And just the... And that's real. Like, if we say we believe the Bible the way we say we believe the Bible, the safest place to be is in his will. Um, what does that mean, though? Does it mean you just sit idly and just do nothing and just say, okay, God, you know, you're, gonna, you're looking out for me and you're going to be my refuge, you're going to be my strength? 
No, what I see in this, pa- in this chapter is I see David pursuing God. Sometimes I think we think, I think we think, <laughs> sometimes we think, we fall into the trap of thinking that I can just idly sit here and by default I'm going to grow in my relationship with the Lord. And that's not going to, that doesn't happen that way. Like, like spiritual growth, the kind of spiritual growth where, like I equate it to like the ballast on the bottom of a ship that keeps the ship from capsizing, picture that as your faith, as your, as your relationship with God. The ballast uh, of your faith just doesn't go deeper naturally, like on its own. Just like you can't expect to, spiritually gr- to grow spiritually by just sitting there like some spiritual invalid, like, waiting for somebody to spoon-feed you oatmeal, right? Spiritual oatmeal, here you go. Like, that doesn't happen in God's kingdom. Um, David pursued God. How are you going to experience God as your refuge? How are you going to experience you know, him as, as Adonai? Uh, well, you know, you, you pursue him. You get to know him. A relationship goes be- two ways. That doesn't mean you know everything there is to know about God. It just means that you are pursuing him. If your eyes are, are on him, you will see him as your refuge. If they are not on him, you're just going to see other things that you think look bigger than, than the God of the Bible. So there are, there's a security in the Lord to be had presently. He goes on to say, uh, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have be- a beautiful inheritance. What is he saying there? Well, there, there was a very real threat that since Saul was pursuing David, that he might lose his inheritance. What was his inheritance? His, the land that, that belonged to him. Like, that was in jeopardy. And David's response was, it's God's decision. Like, there's no, plan, there's no plan B with him. God is the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Like, he is the one who, who holds my portion. It's like when I decided to get healthy a while back, and I started by running. When, uh, I, think of running I think we were doing, like, a two-mile run. I thought I was going to die. And... Uh, and so my, my friend, as we were rap- finishing our run, he said to me, I said, well, I guess we're extending the days of our life. And I said, no, because the Bible's pretty clear. One, I feel like I'm going to die. But two, um, the Bible's clear that God has allotted our days, right? He's allotted our days. But I think what, what is happening here is that um, I would rather spend my days active than on a couch on oxygen, right? And so... David here is like, whatever happens, happens, but, but I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. I have set the Lord always before me. See that? Like there's the, I am pursuing the Lord. I set him before me always. I am pursuing him. Uh, Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 7 says this. The words will be on the screen. Um, let's read this together. Ready? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, seek the Lord while he may be found. You know, look for him. Pursue him. We get that through our, our, our time alone with God, and we get that through our interaction with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then um, this leads me to the, the third point of the psalm. In verses 9 through 11, there's a promise from the Lord to be held on to for the future. So there's a future promise from the Lord that is for us. 
and it's here in, I think, the most exciting verses of, this, of Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11. Listen to this. Therefore, my heart is glad. Well, therefore. Why is therefore, therefore? That's a, a homiletical question to, be, to, to, to ask. You know, when you see therefore, you've got to ask yourself, why is it there? Well, it's there in light of verses 1 through, through 8. In light of what I just said in verses 1 through 8, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Look at verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to, to the grave. It's literally what it says. Or let your Holy One see corruption. Anybody recognize those, those, those words? Good. Uh, one, one person. Um, I'm, now you're going to know. Uh, this is awesome. Now, before I, before I show you my cards and before I show you what he's talking about here, David is definitely saying in verse 10 that in light of God's character, who is Yahweh, who is also Adonai, he has not abandoned me on this side of eternity. He is not going to abandon me on the other side of eternity. You see, that's what he's saying there. He's like, even in the grave, God is not going to abandon me. You know what he's saying? There is more to come. What's amazing about this is David is saying this without, a, without any context of a resurrection. So Peter, on Pentecost, uh, after Jesus rose from the grave, oh, you can bring up that Acts passage, after Jesus rose from the grave, Peter delivers a sermon in Acts chapter 2. Now, at Pentecost, all kinds of people were gathered together to celebrate Pentecost. And... Um, and so Peter delivers this sermon, it's an amazing sermon, and in verses 29 through 32, he says something really, really cool and interesting. Ready? Uh, you don't have to read it with me, I'm just going to read it. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Okay, that's 2 Samuel um, chapter 7, if you're looking for Bible and verse, or a chapter and verse, um, where God promised David that you will have a descendant who will sit on your throne forever. Peter continues. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Well, how did he foresee and spoke about the resurrection of Christ? that he was not abandoned to Hades or death, nor did his flesh see corruption. Right from Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. This Jesus, God raised up, of, all, uh, of that we are witnesses. Now, was David thinking, oh, my descendant Jesus, who's going to sit on my throne forever, is going to be crucified on a cross, he will be buried in a tomb, and on the third day he'll rise. Was David thinking that? No. But I can tell you who was. The Holy Spirit who was guiding David when he wrote this psalm was thinking exactly about Jesus. And what's the point? What does God want us to take away from, you know, from Psalm 16? That he is for his people and he is not against them. Even in death, God is for you, and he is not against you. I said that yesterday at Cliff Abraham's uh, memorial service. Like Cliff's favorite passage in the Bible is Romans chapter 8. Pretty easy passage to preach from at a funeral. Um, you know, 
There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, in light of the present sufferings, you know, are they worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us? No. God works all things out for the good of those who love him. And then he lists five reasons why we know that. Because he chose us. Well, he, he, he knew us. He chose us. He uh, justified us. He, and I forget the other two. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Read it. But um, like he, he did those things. That's how we know. Like Psalm 16, David is saying, I know God is for me because he, won't even, he will not abandon me even in the grave. That there is life beyond this. And like for, for Cliff, I said, you know, and I say this at every funeral that I do for someone who was a follower of Jesus, that the grave is not death's victory dance for Cliff. It's not. You know, we grieve, but our grief isn't like the grief that uh, the world shares. Our grief, especially in light of uh, a brother or sister in Christ who died, is that we know that their death is also their gain. But there's, um, but there's a type of, there's a, a sense of loss that we experience. The loss of a, of a friend, the loss of a loved one that we're not going to see for a while. I reminded everybody that was here yesterday that, or I shared with everyone that was here yesterday something my grandmom said, who after placing her faith and trust in Jesus, said to me, you know, this isn't goodbye, this is see you later. You know, death sucks. I hate, I'm telling you, I hate COVID. I hate it. Like, I, I don't hate it because I think there's some conspiracy out there and that is not really what it is. I hate it because it's a horrible virus. I hate it just as much as I hate death. I was praying over Cliff that God would heal Cliff in a miraculous way, and that, that by healing him in a miraculous way, it would just blow all the nurses and doctors away. And God chose in his goodness not to do that. And I hate COVID. But I know God is bigger than that. He's bigger than the grave, and David knew it. So he said in verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever." more. You know, one of the verses in, in, in Romans 8 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Like, there's a resurrection coming. Like, there, you know, I said this before, death has a shelf life. It's not permanent. The world looks at death as being permanent and behaves in like manner. But we know death is not permanent. Jesus conquered the grave. He rose on the third day. And so uh, as I was writing this message, I wrote it after I wrote Cliff's memorial message, my thoughts were naturally just brought right to Romans chapter 8 because that's where I've been camping this whole week, Romans chapter 8. And I thought, man, the way Romans chapter 8 ends is such a great application to Psalm 16. Like David is literally saying that God is his refuge, that Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, is his Adonai who doesn't have a plan B, always operates from plan A, and will not abandon him in the grave, even in the grave. That Romans chapter 8 is just such an appropriate way to, to end. And that, um, 
And that's the way I want to just conclude our time, Romans chapter 8. The words will be on the screen. You can read it in your Bible if you want. But um, Yeah, but by the way, the other... <laughs> let, me, let me start a little, just above that. Um, those five reasons, those five reasons why we know God is for us and not against us. He predestined us. You know, he knew us. He uh, justified us. And he called us. And the, and the fifth one, the fifth one is he will glorify us. It says he also glorified us, past tense. Past tense but the point is, it's a done deal and we will experience it in the future. What does that mean? There's a resurrection coming. Verse 31, this is what's on the screen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, think about that. If God is for us, who can be against us? COVID? No. <laughs> death? No. Yeah, like, can death outdo what God has already accomplished for us? No. If God is for us, who can be against us? None of those things can be against us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? None of those things. Let's read the rest together. Ready? Let's read it. Read it like not like you're tired. Read it like you're awake. Right? Here we go. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes. That is good news. That is so, such good news. And uh, if you're here, or if you're watching the live stream, and you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you're not a follower of Christ, and you want to be, the Bible says, you just confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. You will be saved. You don't have to work for it. Jesus did all that. You need to believe it, though. You need to believe that he lived a life that you could never live, the perfect life. That he died on a cross, a death that each and every one of us deserved under God, the wrath of God for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. If you believe that, not just with your head, but here, the Bible says you will be saved. And you'll go from being an enemy of God to being a son or a daughter of the living God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for Psalm 16. God is so encouraging to my heart that you're a God that we can take refuge in, that you are the God who is Yahweh. You are a God who keeps your promises. You are the covenant-keeping God. You are a God who loves your people unconditionally. You are also Adonai. You are the sovereign one. There are no plan Bs with you. It's only plan A. Only plan A with you. And so God, I take great comfort in that as well. So God, just ease our anxieties. Use your people. 
to uh, be the light and salt in this world, in this city that, that, that's so desperately needed. People need to hear the greatest news in the universe, news that, um, that promises life and not death, even life beyond the grave. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great rest of the week. See you guys next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.